Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning. This is Brother Brandon Teague, and we're coming to you from just south of Deport, Texas, here in northeast Texas. And it's our privilege to invite you into the morning service of Faith Baptist Church. And we're glad that you tuned in here on the Old Path broadcast for part 147. 147 of the sermon series, Getting to Know Jesus. And though we are 147 sermons in, it's a good place to get in with us right now as we uh, come to uh, toward the close of this sermon series. We followed Jesus all the way from before his birth when he was in the womb of Mary. And uh, she and Elizabeth, who was carrying John the Baptist, got together and John the Baptist, when when Mary told Elizabeth that she was pregnant, John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb at the news that Jesus was coming. Because John, John was the prophet to make straight the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord. And and even in the mother's womb, we see that, that it's not just a blob of tissue, but it's a real person that God has plans for. God specific about those plans. Uh, it's not a it's not a coincidence. It's not chance. God has divine plans, and God's divine plan was that John prophesy and make plain the way of the Lord. Anyway, let's get into our message this morning. I want us to turn. We're going to be in Matthew twenty one this morning, but I want you to look in Isaiah chapter five. Isaiah chapter 5, and uh, this is a prophecy uh, way back here, and the Lord repeats this, and we'll see in our text. So let's look there. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 7. I'll give you just a second to turn there in your Bible. And uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, and let's read. The Bible says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, Judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard than I have done, that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes, and now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command that clouds, that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his peasant plant. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. And the men of Judah, his pleasant plant, not peasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, 
but behold, a cry. Now, take your Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and I'll set the stage. Again, we find ourselves on the Monday before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus has come in uh, riding on the foal of an ass, and they have shouted, Hosanna, thou son of David, save us, Messiah. They expected the kingdom of God to be set up there in Jerusalem immediately. Uh, he, uh, he healed, uh, he, first of all, he, he cleansed his father's temple, cast out the money changers and the, those that sold animals. Uh, he began to heal, he began to teach. The, the high priest, the chief priest, and the elders, they approached him and interrupted him, and they asked him by what authority he does these things. They were angry with him. They, he had come in, and he had, he had upset their entire operation, and they could find no way to find fault in him, and they were trying everything they could. They couldn't see. They were blinded by their own ambition. They were blinded by their own schemes. They wanted, they wanted everything for themselves. They wanted all the glory of God. They wanted it for themselves. They were very willful, prideful, arrogant men, and they couldn't see it. And so, and their hearts were very, very wicked. They had turned their back on God and yet pretended to be of God and for God, much like Pope Francis. He claims to be the vicar of Christ. He claims to be Christ's representative on earth. Uh, it's wickedness, wickedness, wickedness to the core. And uh, so these men, they they asked Jesus by what authority that he'd done these things. And, and he told them, he said, well, I'll ask you a question and you answer me. And, and he said, well, what, where did the bad, what was the, where was the baptism of John from? Was it of heaven or was it of men? And because they knew that the people had followed after John, and it put these men in a conundrum. If they said, "Well, it's of heaven," then he would say, "Well, then why don't you believe?" But they, they, and then, and if it was, a, they reasoned with themselves. They said, "If it's a, we say if it's of men, then then the people are going to stone us." In other words, we're saying it's nothing. It was just he made all that up. So because they they knew that the people revered John as a prophet, and so because of that, they didn't want to get in trouble with the people who they ruled over. So they said, "We can't tell you." And he said, "Well, then I won't tell you by whose authority I do the things I do." And so this continues on the conversation, okay? Because Jesus told them, he said, in verse 32, he said, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. Now, we're going to turn our attention to verse 33, uh, on down through verse 46. We'll read that, we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. Not really sure how long this one will be. Maybe it won't be as long as normal, but that's okay. Whatever God leads to do, that's what we'll do. Let's read and then we'll pray. Matthew 21, 33, through the end of the chapter, the Bible says, Hear another parable, Jesus said. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about. Sounds like what we just read in Isaiah, doesn't it? And he digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen husbandman and went into a far country and when the time of the fruit draw near drew near he sent his servants to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits of it and the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another again he sent other servants more than the first 
and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Now, now listen, this is the high priest, the chief priest, the high priest, the chief priest, and the elders answer. They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I, help, I ask your help this morning. I plead with you for your power and your help. Lord, I know there are people listening to this message that need this. Lord, there, there are those out there who are lost in sin. They're on their way to hell. Lord, eternal suffering. Father, and I plead with you, that, Lord, that you allow us somehow to communicate the gospel clearly. And Lord, I pray the Holy Ghost of God stir in their heart. Show them their sin. Show them their need for a Savior. And, Lord, may we declare the gospel clearly. And Lord, I pray this be the day someone comes to Christ believing and receiving the gift of eternal life. Lord God, I pray for the backslider in heart. I pray, Lord, today be the day of reckoning, the day of repentance, the day of return home to you. Father, I pray they turn around. Lord God, please, work in hearts. For the Christian, Lord, the one who's close to you, Lord, I pray it draw us stronger, closer into a deeper relationship, closer to what you'd have us to be. Father, please, work in our lives today. Lord, bless all the gospel preachers around the world that are lifting up the name of Christ. We just give you the glory and the praise. Now, in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right. In this parable, the parable of the dishonest husbandman, we could, we could easily put a lot of different names on it. We could call it a murder in the vineyard. We could call it all kinds of things. I don't necessarily have a title. But I will say this. God is trying to communicate again as he's done time and time and time again the gospel to those who are hard of hearing. He's tried his best to show them again and again and again. Again, the patience of Almighty God. Do you understand how loving and kind and patient God is to again to give them another picture, another Another picture to show them the gospel. 
But let's look at some things in here because, again, when when Christ speaks in parables, he's using he's using a story to paint a picture. And before we even begin, I think it's worth saying to 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 share with those there may be somebody listening who doesn't see the comparisons in this story. So I want to make sure everybody understands uh, just who we're talking about here. Again, he says there was a certain householder or a certain man of the house, a certain head of the household. And that householder represents God Almighty. He is the householder in this parable. And then the Bible says that he planted a certain vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press and built a tower. And that that vineyard represents Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. We know that. God God hewed out this people for himself to represent him, to show and, and to demonstrate his truth and his righteousness through this people. They are a called out people for that specific purpose. And God has used, again, through them to bring, to bring Jesus into the world. He used those people. He used those people to, to be his people. He called them out and he, and he brought them into being through Abraham. Uh, through Isaac, and, and on down through that line. I mean, this is God's plan, and, and Israel is his vineyard, okay? And then he says he lent that vineyard out. He lent it out, or let it out, to husbandmen. Who are the husbandmen? Well, they are the Jewish leaders. They are the very ones who who worked in the temple they they are the, they are the chief priests they are the 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 high priests they are the the levites they are those who worked in the temple they are those who are to care for uh the teaching of god to to show the sacrifices which pointed to christ they were there to 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 be a flashing neon sign pointing to jesus christ he has let his vineyard out to them to care for God's chosen people. And then he says that he sent servants. He sent his servants to them that they might receive the fruits of it. God expects a return on his investment. He sent his servants to prophesy. Why did they prophesy? They made it more clearly to them that that the Messiah was to come. They, They preached, they prophesied, about Jesus who was to come. They made it as plain as could be, and they expected a return on it. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the prophets down through history. We're talking about the ones who God sent to preach of Jesus, all the way down to John the Baptist, the very last prophet. And then the Bible says that God sent his son. Jesus said he sent his son. And, of course, that represents Christ. That represents Jesus. So just so we understand these things before we get into the message this morning, but let's go ahead and let's get into the message and let's ask God uh, to open our understanding again as we did just a moment ago. And, and, And as you listen, ask God to talk to you. Ask God to show you something. But the first thing I want us to see in here about this parable that God is teaching us is that God is unmistakably the owner. It's his, okay? In Psalm chapter 24 and verse 1, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, 
the world and they that dwell therein. It's all his. You know, we 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 pass around pieces of paper called deeds and titles and things of that nature, but let's be honest. It all belongs to him. Even though we may have somewhere in a bank safe deposit box or in a bedroom drawer or in a closet filing cabinet, something that says we own this property or something that says we own that property, in all truthfulness, it's never truly ours because God owns it. You may say, well, it's never really ours because they have to pay property taxes on it. Well, that's true too. And, and the state owns, they think they have a claim on it as well. There's a lot of people that have a claim on things. But the truth of it is the government doesn't own it either. God owns it all. Amen? Amen. The whole thing, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, not a square inch he doesn't own. The world and they that dwell therein. So not only does he own the world and everything, all the property, all the material things, he owns us. Amen. Everything on the earth, God is in possession of. It's his to will and to do as he pleases. I mean, we, we say things like, this is mine. Kids learn that real early, don't they? Somebody take a, they'll take a toy that maybe mom and dad bought for them, and somebody else playing with it, they'll run up and snatch it out of their hand and say, mine! And they may say that and they may think that, but truthfully, they didn't buy it. It's not theirs. I mean, they didn't pay for it. It's, they don't have ownership necessarily. <clears throat> Listen, but we do that about things God has given to us. God gives us gifts to use, and, and oftentimes we look around and say, well, all this is mine, and I worked for it, and I earned it, and it's mine. But the truth of it is it's never truly ours. It all still belongs to God in the long run. Okay, but another thing I want us to see here about God being the owner, in this parable that we're looking at this morning, you see in verse 34, and that when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. Now, he wasn't sending them to take everything. He was sending them to take his portion of it because he, he owns a portion of it, okay? I mean, he, he's going to let them have some. He's going to let them have a blessing. Amen. He, we work, and, and, and God, wants, God wants of the fruit of our labor, right? But he's going to let us keep and use part of it. God doesn't want it all. He just wants a part of it. He wants us to give back to him and show him that we love him, okay? <clears throat> but they were greedy. These husbandmen, they were greedy. They looked around at it all, and they said, you know what? I don't want to give him anything. We don't want this man ruling over us. We want it all. We kind of like this system we've set up here where these people, we're making ourselves rich off of these folks. These poor people coming in here, and they're putting all their money in the offering, and, and I mean, that we're charging them extra prices for the animals, for sacrifice. And, I mean, we're, we're, we're putting on them heavy legal restraints so they got to do this and they can't do this. I mean, we're in control. We have power. We have authority, and we control the, their pocketbooks. We control everything in their life. They wanted it all. They weren't willing to do things God's way. They got more corrupt and more corrupt and more corrupt and more corrupt because that's what man does when he's left to his own devices. Man increasingly becomes more corrupt. 
And so God gave them this vineyard. And they were there to just manage it. Just like you don't own anything in your life. And everything you have, you are to manage it for God. The Bible says we're stewards. And the Bible says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. God has put us in charge of the things that we hold and and possess in this life. And God expects us to use those things for his glory. Not for our praise, but for his praise. Not for our glory, but for his glory. (laughs) But he wants to... Listen... He's allowing us to keep a portion of what we have, enough to, to be satisfied. But God wants, God wants a showing of it. God, again, God, God expects us to live and, and enjoy life, but he wants us to give him glory along the way. All right. Again, like I said, you don't own anything. You just manage it. Uh, everybody may not understand the term sharecroppers, but... A long time ago, it ain't that way so much anymore, but a long time ago, people, people did sharecropping, and what they did, what they did is they lived on, a, on a, uh, a man's property, and they worked his fields. And he provided them the fields. He provided them uh, uh, the, the livestock to plow the fields with. He provided them the seed to plant in the fields. And they went out, and they worked those fields for him, and they grew a crop, and when the crop came due, well, then the owner took his portion of it, and, and the remainder was given to those that worked the fields, and that was their pay. That was how they existed. And that's, you know what? That's how God wants us to do. We're here. We're living on his earth. We're breathing up his air. We're drinking his water, eating his food, and God has given us blessings. God has poured down his blessings upon us here in this country. God has given us way more in abundance than we we probably should ever have deserved. And you know what? God just wants what's his. God just wants what he deserves. I mean, we can go all the way back. We can go all the way back and see this. I want you to turn in Genesis. Look in Genesis, the second chapter. I mean, this has been from the beginning. This is not a new thing. Genesis 2 and verse 15, the Bible says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden. Why? To dress it and to keep it. God put Adam there. He said, Adam, you you take care of these plants and animals. You make sure things go right. You manage it for me. It wasn't, He didn't say, Adam, here, it's all yours. Do with it as you please. No, he put him there and said, you manage it, you take care of it for me. Listen, our lives are to be that. Our lives are to be managing and taking care of what God has given us and entrusted us with. Amen? God is the owner. That, that's the main thing you need to get through your head is that God is the owner. And I have a question for you. What kind of a job are you doing with what God has given you? Are you doing good as his husbandman? Are you taking care of his business like you ought to? Are you making a profit for God, or are you making a mess? Are you being selfish with what God has given you? Or are you being generous and knowing that if you, that you can't outgive God? I mean, there's a verse over in Proverbs. I'm trying to quote it in my head, but I can't quote it. But, but oh, yeah, there, there, is that with, there is that scattereth 
yet increaseth. And and he that withholdeth more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. He that scattereth and yet increaseth. He gives away and yet he keeps getting back more. And there's that withholdeth more than he should, and it only makes him poor. He thinks he's going to be better by holding on to everything and not helping anybody else, and yet it ends up making him poor in the end run, in the, in the long run. Listen, God has given to us to be vessels. How many times have we heard that? We're vessels. God wants to pour his blessings, pour into us to pour back out. Amen? That was his plan with the children of Israel as well, they would, that they would pour back his blessings onto the people. But what have they done? They took advantage. They kept it for themselves. They didn't want Jesus. They had their own little kingdom. They didn't need God. They just used his name, much like the prosperity preachers of this world do and the healing preachers of this world do, the televangelists. No, God's in control. God's the owner. Number two, let me say to you about this. Not only is God the owner, but God is patient. God is very patient. Over in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. God is so patient with us, so much more patient than we ever deserved. God was so patient with Israel. I want you to look at this. The Bible says the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. God's patient with us. Amen. And God sent messengers. He sent these, he sent these, these uh, servants to the husbandmen. He sent them down to collect. He sent them down to... Uh, to say to them, listen, you need, you, you, you need to turn to God. You need to turn from your idols. You need to turn from your wickedness. You need to give God your heart. You need to love him and him only. You need to turn to him and repent. You need to turn to him and be forgiven. You need to turn to him and, 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 and offer up fruits, meat for repentance, as John the Baptist said. Listen, God is patient. God continues to give that message. God's patient. God's given me here this morning the call to give you that same message. That's how patient God is. All this time has passed, and he's still pleading with men to be saved. And what did they do to those men that God sent to them to give them the message? Well, they beat them. They laughed at them and mocked them. God sent some other messengers. What they do? They killed them. Man don't want to hear it. Man ain't going to hear it. 
I'm going to say to you, there are people out there this morning maybe tuned in to what I'm saying this morning, but if they don't want to hear it, you know what? They're not going to hear it. If you've got your mind made up, can't nobody do nothing to you with the truth if your mind's made up. But I'm going to tell you, God's patient. He won't wait forever, but God's patient. He's waited this long with you. But you know what? God has sent many messengers. He sent a whole lot of messengers to remind us that we're to obey him. Think about how many preachers you've heard over the life to your lifetime. Think about how many sermons you've heard over your lifetime. Think about how many gospel tracts you've read over your lifetime. Think about how many times somebody's quoted a Bible verse. Think about how many times you've seen a scripture verse on a sign somewhere on a billboard or you've seen it on in the end zone in a football game. I mean, listen, on a bumper sticker, God has sent messengers time and time and time and time and time again. Or you've been going through a radio dial and you heard a message on there. How many times God has tried over and over and over and over and over to get us to turn around and get us to give him what he's due? How many times? And what did we do to him sometimes? We just turned him away. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to listen to that. They ain't talking to me. God's been patient. <clears throat> you know why? Because God has given every single one of us a vineyard to manage. Every single one of us has a vineyard to manage. God wants results. I mean, God God doesn't want us to be like the man in Proverbs where, where he walked by and the stone wall was broken down and thorns and briars had overgrown everything. Why? Because the man was lazy. The man was slothful. And he didn't take care of what God had given to him. And that, that's, that's like too many of us. We're so caught up in chasing after this world's things. We're chasing after shiny, glittery things of this world. And we forget that those things are fleeting. Those things have wings. They fly away. Money has wings. It flies away. You can't guarantee yourself prosperity. You can work as hard as you possibly can your entire life and still come up empty-handed. Hard work doesn't always do it. You've got to have God's favor. Listen, this is not about money. This is not about success and worldly things I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about when you when your life is done, did you serve God? Did you live for him? Did you give him what he deserved? Did you even care about the things of God? Or were you only were you only mixed up and chasing after your own dreams and, and letting the devil keep you pulled away and lured away from God's will and God's way so long that you now wasted your entire life? God's patience. God's patient. He's given us all a vineyard to manage. Every single life. Listen, I, I remember so many years ago having a church member who came up to me and he said, I just feel like we're second-class citizens. I just, he, he, just, he said, I just, I just feel like we're second-class citizens in God's family. No, there's never such a thing. There's no second-class citizens in God's family. No. Every one of us. As a testimony, every one of us has has a message, a gospel message to tell. No one person is of any less value than another to God. Listen, he, every single one of us is a vessel to be poured into and to be poured out of. It's not what we possess. It's not what we are. It's what's been done in us. 
God expects a return on it. He does. He expects a return. You don't believe me? Think about what about what about the parable of the pounds? What about the parable of the talents? This man was given ten talents. This man was given five talents. This man was given one talent. The one with ten talents. He went and did something with it, and he increased it. He increased his ten talents, and 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 and, and the one with five, he increased his. But the one with and the Lord was pleased with him, and he said, "Here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful a little. Hey, over a little. Here, I'm going to give you much." Because God is patient with them, and he's allowed them. He waited them. He didn't expect something out of them the first minute. No, he went. He left it with them, and he stepped back, and he gave them a chance to do something with what he had given them. He gave them a chance to manage those pounds, those talents, that vineyard, and he stepped back. But then there was the one who had the one talent. You remember? He said, well, I know how you are. I know you're a hard, hateful man. You expect stuff that people couldn't possibly give. And so I, I folded it up in a napkin and I hid it. Here, here's your thing back. That's the way too many of us are. Here, here's your thing back. I lived my life here. Here's your thing back. I'm too busy chasing after my dreams. Here's your thing back. We need never forget that our blessings all come from God. He's so patient with us. Even though we're rotten so many times to him, he's patient and he loves us. If we're his children, if we've been washed in Jesus' blood, cleansed, he's patient with us. He's patient with lost people to come to him. God's so patient. I mean, look, he's talking to the high priest, the chief priest, the elders. These are lost men. These are men who are plotting his death, and yet he's still patient with them. See, our blessings all come from God. Let's look at, I'll, I'll just read it to you. I don't expect you to find all these places, but Deuteronomy chapter 3. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Our blessings come from God. The Bible says, And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. See, God's saying, If you got blessings, if you got anything, I gave it to you. I allowed you to have it. I think about that verse that's... Uh, over there in uh, over there in Hebrews, it says, "Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning." Every good gift, every good thing we have in this life comes from God, and God expects a return on it. So I say He's patient, and I know you've heard me tell this story, but I want to tell it again. <coughs> because so many out there have never heard it. Speaking of God's patience, the atheist Robert Ingersoll from, from probably 100 years ago and before radio, he went on a... The people used to do oratory speaking tours, and, and, and that's, that's how people were entertained. They didn't have a TV. They didn't have an Internet. 
They didn't have radio, so they went and heard people speak. And this atheist went on his speaking tour trying to convince people there was no God. And at the end of his speech, he would do this thing where he would try to spook the audience by saying, you know, I, 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 I give God... I give God five minutes to strike me dead. I read another place. He said one time, 10 seconds. He gave God, God 10 seconds to strike him dead. And people would get frightened as he counted down the time. Robert Ingersoll was a watchmaker, a clockmaker, and he would hold his pocket watch up and, and he'd say, four minutes, where's God? And he counted down as he talked about God not being there and there being no existence of God. Now he wasn't afraid. Three minutes. Where's God? And he counted down to one minute, and he counted down the very last second, and he'd snap his pocket watch shut, and he'd say, see there, he didn't even bother to respond. And a little lady stood up in the back, and she said, Mr. Ingersoll, it takes more than five minutes to exhaust the patience of Almighty God. And it does, because God's patient. If he was that patient with these leaders who hated him and sought to murder him, He's been so patient with you and I. Oh, we ought to reward that. We ought to reward that with obedience, with love, with a return on God's investment, a taking care of his vineyard that he's given us. Number three, let me say to you that God's loving. God is so loving. In Psalm 100, Verse 5, Psalm 100 and verse 5, I said, God is loving. The Bible says, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Listen, God's mercy is everlasting. He never will ever, ever, ever stop being merciful. That's how much God loves. His mercy doesn't run out. No, his truth never changes. God is love, the Bible tells us. <laughs> now you think about this. God sent, his, God sent his servants. He sent his prophets, one after another. Again, some of them they stoned, some of them they beat, some of them they killed. The last one, John the Baptist, his head was taken off in the prison cell and put on a silver platter and brought out to Herodias. And yet, after all that, what did God do? He sent his own son. Talk about love. After, they, after all those prophets were, were, were beaten and, and stoned to death, I mean, killed, I mean, listen. And then God still sent his son, and they killed him. They crucified him. Think about that. Think about the wickedness of the human heart. This wasn't some crime of passion. Jesus didn't come on the scene and they got caught up in some kind of uh, passion and, 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 and killed him. Or, or it, was, it wasn't accidental. No, it was premeditated murder. They sat and they plotted and they plotted and they thought and they plotted and they planned and they tried everything they could possibly think of to kill him. They tried every way possible to rid the earth of Jesus Christ. It was premeditated murder to be their own master, to be their own God, and reject God Almighty. You see, when we take our eyes off God 
and we start doing what we want to and living our life as though God didn't exist and as though we were the owner of everything, we're making ourselves our own idol. We're living for ourselves as if God didn't matter. We're no better than they were. We toss God aside and say, I'll do what I want to, and when I start feeling bad, I'll go back and ask God to forgive me. Have, have mercy. Good gosh. We, we, we're, we're, we, ought, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. God's so loving. God's so forgiving that he sent his only begotten son to suffer at the hands of men, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be spit on, to be punched in the face, to be pierced, to be, to be torn to ribbons, to bleed and die naked for me and you and for our sins. I mean, think about how, how, God, how much God must love us to allow all that to take place just for us. He didn't have to. But because he is so loving and so merciful, he did. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love. This is what he's saying. This is the definition of love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word means the reconciliation for our sins. Deep and wide was the, the chasm of, uh, of blackness between us and God, that, that, that great gulf that we couldn't span on our own. And there was no way that we could get to God because our sins had separated us eternally from us and God. And Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, came into this world and died for our sins. God gave him to us to be our Savior. Even though man had done everything he could to rid the earth of any hope of Jesus ever coming, Satan worked through men to try to destroy the bloodline of Christ so that he would never appear on the scene. And yet, for all their efforts, they could not. Even though time and time and time again, men had preached and proclaimed that the Messiah was to come, and they destroyed those men. Down through the ages, until Jesus Christ set foot on earth, there was no stopping his teaching until he willingly laid his life down. God loves us to go through all that God went through. It's kind of like a story that I read. Back in the early 60s, uh, I read that Time Magazine, their subscriptions were starting to, to droop. And so they tried something new. IBM just started building computers, and, and so they had convinced them to, to, to send out letters using computers. So IBM installed a, a computer system there with Time Magazine, which would, which would write the letters, which would put the letters in envelopes, put addresses on them, and send them out without a human hand having to touch them. There was just one problem. There was a glitch. And there was a farmer, a rancher in Wyoming, that received 12,635 letters from Time Magazine. 
Now, he wasn't used to getting much mail out there in the middle of Wyoming. So when all these sacks of mail began to arrive, he didn't know what in the world was going on. So he started opening letters. And after reading about two dozen of those same letters, he sent $6 and a note to Time Magazine. He said, I give up. <laughs> it overwhelmed him. You know, it ought to overwhelm us how much God loves us. God has sent us message after message after message after message after message to tell us how much he loves us. He just wants us to love him back. He just wants us to manage what he's given us and give him glory. Listen, that farmer, that rancher said, I give up. He couldn't resist it. <laughs> I mean, he, it was all out there in front of him. Listen, it's all right there in front of us. We need to realize that, that God has done so much. Listen to me, sinner. Listen, God has done so much to show you that he loves you that he wants you to be his child, that he wants you to be saved, that he wants you to be forgiven, that he wants you to be a part of his family. Don't resist him. Because if, he, if you do, my last point is this, God is the final judge. You don't want to fall into his hands. Lost. I want you to look in Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. The Bible says, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Don't think for one second that God's ever been unfair to you. Don't think for one second that God's going to be unjust in his judgment of you. Don't think for one second that you'll be able to hold up your good works and say, look, look at what all I've done, God. Look at how great of a person I am because God knows your wicked heart and God knows your sinfulness and God knows. And there's no escaping God's wisdom. There's no escaping God's judgment. And if you die without Jesus Christ, you will split hell wide open, my friend. There'll be no hope for you. It's, for, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. God's judgment is sure. God's judgment is right. God's judgment is just. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. In verse 40 in our text, Jesus proposed a question. He said, when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? And in verse 41, those Jews that hated him and wanted him dead answered the question. They said unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season." And here we find another symbolic statement. Because who is this other people, this other husbandman? Folks, that's the Gentile world. That's us. And God expects us to render him the fruits in their season. It's right there in the Scripture. 
I'm here to tell you, they proclaim judgment on themselves. Exactly what they said is exactly what happened. God turned his back on his chosen people. He gave the gospel message to the Gentile world. And his chosen people will go through seven years of tribulation. His chosen people will fall prey to the Antichrist. And it's halfway through that seven years that they'll realize that they truly turned their back on God and they will repent. And there will be a percentage of them, there will be a portion of them that will turn back to God. Now, the judgment falls on all that reject the Son. God has sent His Son. God has given His Son. God has done all that needs to be done. What more could God do? I mean, listen to me, sinner. What more could God do? He's done everything necessary for you to be saved. Human judgment's faulty, but God's judgment's right. God's judgment's true. I want us to look in one more place. I want us to look in 1 Thessalonians. I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. I'll have to find it myself. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I want you to listen. God's the final judge. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Oh, God's going God's to pay back those who trouble us. He said, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. Do you see that? In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you this this day, you better get saved. God has brought you yet again another messenger. God again has brought you in his patience, in his mercy, in his love. He's brought you another opportunity to be saved. If you pass this one, you may never get another one. I want to conclude with, 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 with this thought. I read this story also today. In the old, back in the Old West, when, when the West was being settled, I read that there was, in this certain trail, there was a, a stone that protruded up out of the trail. Caused a lot of broken wagon wheels over the years. Caused a lot of people to trip and fall. Just kind of stuck up in the middle of it. Finally, enough people tripped on it. Somebody finally decided to do something about it. They dug it up, and they pitched it into a creek. While it was in that creek, people used it as a stepping stone to get across the creek. After a lot of years, somebody settled near that creek, and they took that stone out of the creek, and they used it for a doorstop. It sat there through that generation, through another, until the grandson came along and decided to go off to college, studied geology. He returned home, and after some investigation, cleaned the stone only to find out that it was the biggest, largest gold nugget east of the Rocky Mountains. For three generations, 
that gold nugget sat there, and people just saw it as a as a rock until somebody discovered its worth. Maybe maybe generations have passed in your family, and people have discarded Jesus Christ as nothing more than something to cause them to stumble. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you better see him for what he is. He is worth more than anything that you could ever imagine. He is the difference between heaven and hell. And I say to you this morning, don't let that stone fall on you. Listen to what Christ said to these, to these folks as, as we're closing. He asked them a question. He said, did you never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Listen, that's the stone that everything is built according to. The cornerstone, that's the one where that's the one where everything is measured out from. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Everything we have is built off of him. Without him, there is nothing. There is no eternal life without Christ. He said the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus said, therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. You see, that's the one who comes in repentance. That's the one who comes realizing that they're sinful, that they've sinned against Almighty God, that they owe a sin debt before him, and they come falling broken upon the stone which is Christ and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I repent. Forgive me. Lord, please give me of your grace and forgiveness. And that person will receive that forgiveness. But Jesus said, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. That's a fearful thing because that's God's judgment coming down on you for rejecting his son. And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he spoke of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. They weren't, listen, they didn't fear for their souls. They feared for their lives. And there's a whole lot of people out there who are, who are afraid of things. They're afraid of the dark. They're afraid of dogs. They're afraid of snakes. They're afraid of spiders, afraid of mice, afraid of bugs. I'm going to tell you something, but you're not afraid of God. You better be afraid. You better fear Almighty God. He comes, listen, you say, fear him, but he's loving and he's patient and he's merciful and he's kind. Oh, he's all those things if you're forgiven. If you're his child. But if you thumb your nose at God and you reject him and you reject Jesus Christ, you have no hope. So I urge you today, don't cast the cornerstone aside. See him for what he is. He comes to give you eternal life. Call on him and ask him to be your savior. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for the message today. Lord, I pray for folks to be saved today. I pray, Lord, for people to get born again today. I pray, Lord, for backsliders and heart to turn around and come home and repent 
and fall before you and say, Lord, please have mercy on me. I've wasted my life. I've wasted so much time. I've wasted the things you've given me. I've wasted blessings. Please forgive me and have mercy. Oh, Lord, we know that you will. We know that you, that you, you will, Lord. You're merciful and kind. Oh, dear Father, I plead with you. Holy Spirit of God, work in people's lives today. Father, we pray that you have an impact in their lives. Father, please turn them around. We plead for Christ's sake. Lord, I pray for, for Christians. I pray for those who name the name of Christ and, and claim to be yours. I pray, Lord, that we would not waste our, our time and our vineyard that you've given us to watch over. Lord, that we'd be fruitful, that we have something to show for this time we've been here. Lord God, we, we, we plead with you. Minister in their lives. Use them for your glory that they have a reason to rejoice when they see your face. We're going to give you glory and praise for this today, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to bless us. Be with us tonight as we go to Clarksville. Father, we just pray you bless those folks there too. Father, I pray you be, that you be a blessing in the lives and of each and every one who's tuned in to hear the, the show today, Father, to hear the message. Father, we just pray that, Lord, that you just continue to work in their lives, draw them closer to you. And we give you glory. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Help me, Lord. Forgive my sins. Teach me, Lord, to be better steward of the, uh, of the things you've given me to take care of. And I give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.